We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. He turns. He fires for the win. He's got the bucket at the buzzer. back to Bibby. Has the open shot. Ladies and gentlemen, up on those feet, put those hands together. And we'll meet tonight starting five for your Sacramento Kings. Welcome to the Kings Beat Podcast. I am James Ham, Kings Insider for ESPN 1320 and the Kings Beat. Joining me today, Box 40's Sean Cunningham. How are you, Sean? I'm great. Um, could be better, <laughs> but busy, busy Friday uh, uh, ahead. And uh, good to see your smiling faces. <laughs> Look at that. Uh, yeah. And of course, we are joined by Brendan Nunes from the Kings Pulse Podcast. Brendan, how are you? Doing well. Doing well. Um, nothing too special. Believe it or not, I have been on a scary movie kick recently. It's Brendan wild. is becoming a cinephile. It's it's well, really yeah. Never heard that I word. Mean, um, it's, I don't. It's think okay. It's a clean one. I, I went to. <laughs> doesn't <laughs> I, uh, sound clean. No, it does not. Um, I went to the Cinemark in Doco for the first time. It's a nice theater. Um, I don't think it I've been nice. to a movie theater in a long time. I guess I saw Barbie in theaters, but prior to that, it had been years, probably. Um, so, yeah, yeah decent experience. I like that one. It is cool. It, like, the seats lay back pretty pretty well. Yeah. It's, it's all electric, and um, and there's also a ton of space between you and the people in front of you. I don't know. I'm down. I, I like it. Like, yeah. I have a tendency on occasion to, if I go to shoot around and then I've got a bunch of time to kill, I'll go catch a movie during the middle of the day before a game or before we start back up at like four o'clock. And uh, so that that's usually my theater theater of choice. I didn't even um, know that one existed. I always assumed it was oh, the one on the other end of K street. Um, oh, the Esquire. Sure. Okay. That's oh, the IMAX. That's IMAX. Yeah. 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 And then there's also the crest, which is in the middle. So right. Crest plays old <laughs> How movies. How about Brendan just going, sure, as if like dismissal, like, man, get to know your city here. So, What's wrong yeah. with you? I'm directionally challenged. It's a, oh, yeah, I know this. It takes a lot of effort. Yeah, I know you do. You're, you're, <laughs> you're, there's other challenges. I'll tell you what. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Um, you ever okay. seen the way the guy eats a hot dog? You, you, Calm oh, down. Boy. Calm down. <laughs> we all got our glizzy habits, okay? Uh, treat. That's, that's funny. <laughs> I'm not the um, worst in the room, at least. Okay. About well, that, well, I don't know. Not between oh. us three, but in the media oh, room. Yeah, there's, like, you know, there's some people that save me from getting too much ridicule. So yeah, there are there are some people that uh, <laughs> that save you. Um. All right, let's uh, let's just get to the business side. Uh, if you're watching here on YouTube, give us a thumbs up if you don't mind. Uh, become a subscriber here on the channel. Uh, all of that is awesome. Uh, go to thekingsbeat.com and become a premium subscriber so you get access to all of our uh, content here in the King's Beat. Um, let's see, what else is there? Uh, we should have happy hour coming up. Uh, I will wrangle a guest maybe for maybe for next Thursday. Let me what? let me figure that one out. Have one? 
Didn't we just it do one? It feels like we just had one, but we didn't just have one. It's been a huh. it's been a while now. So we when we had uh, Mr. Jim Crandall, that's at least like three weeks ago. Is this um, one going to be live in person someplace at some bar establishment or otherwise? No, but I'm going to work on that because uh, mm, you've Jim been saying Graves, that. Our friend Jim Graves sent me a really good idea, and uh, I've got to do some research and reach out to some people. But there's a possibility that you know if we will do something large, uh, larger scale, uh, and, mm. and do a live thing. So uh, those things are all in the works. But in order to get invited to any of that. You got to become a premium subscriber of the King's Beat. Uh, also, wherever you're listening to your podcast, if you're not watching here on YouTube, um, if you don't mind, give us a rating and review. Those things help us. They help the algorithm, the algorithm of life. Um, it's been a little bit quiet, but we do have some news. Uh, like Sean and I spent a, a long time covering this team, and part of those years included uh, the 2016 NBA draft where the Sacramento Kings traded the ninth overall pick for pick number 13, pick number 28, and a second-round pick and the draft rights to Bogdan Bogdanovich. Uh, Marquise Chris went number nine. Number 13 was Yorgos Papianis. And number 28 just happened to be Scal Labissiere. Uh, Scal, of course, is from Haiti. Uh, he, his life story is absolutely incredible. Uh, and then we got to cover him for a couple of years and one of the nicest kids that you're ever going to run into. Um, and he just happens to be back with the Sacramento Kings. Um, it's a weird deal. Um, the Kings are basically trading for his G league rights from the Mexico city Capitanes and then signing him to an exhibit 10 contract where he will compete for a roster spot. But realistically, this is a move to bolster the G league. Uh, team, the the Stockton Kings. And um, I don't know, like the deal in itself. Well, let's start with Brendan because um, you've seen Scalabi Sierra play, I assume. Uh, but is there anything that you you think that where this can actually help this team? We'll get to Sean second because Sean actually got to sit down and chat with him and we'll, we'll, we'll discuss that afterwards. Yeah, it's hard to really know from Sacramento's perspective. You know, um, I, I mean, I've been even it's been myself educating myself on Scal since the signing. I will admit, um, haven't seen him much. I think we did actually get to watch him in Golden One Center when Stockton played their last game in Golden One Center. It was against Mexico City and Scalabasier. Um, So saw him in person that day. But yeah, just trying to you know get more familiar when it comes to Stockton's roster standpoint. Like Chance Comanche was still on that. Um summer league team. So I would think there's a decent chance. Maybe that will translate over to Stockton. But after that, you know, there wasn't many bigs and we'll see what happens with Namias Keda. So maybe that is where this fits. Um, but from a Sacramento perspective, it's, it's kind of hard to figure out, right? The four five is certainly where there's the biggest log jam. And my impression is that's where Scal falls into. And um, yeah, it's hard to figure out exactly where he would fit in Sacramento's roster, but they want some competition here and training camp deals. So we'll see. But I think from Stockton's roster building perspective, it makes sense to go try figure out some more forwards bigs. Yeah. Sean, um, like covering Scal, we got to see the development of him. But I thought when he came out of Kentucky, he was really soft. And I remember like Bob, big Bob Thornton uh, on Dave Yeager's staff would literally just beat on Scal with like a big arm pad. And they're trying to work with him on, you know, being more physical in the post and uh, like how to take a hit. And to be honest with you, a lot of that stuff I, I thought was probably going the wrong direction with Scal. Uh, I think Scal probably because they did the same thing with Marvin Bagley. I think if you would have like more centered on him being a perimeter big and worked from that angle that, uh, you know, you certainly needed him to be more physical. But at the same time, like some guys are just finesse players. And it is what it is. I mean, Scala is one of the prettiest jump shots you'll see from the six foot ten, six foot eleven guy. Um, you know, he he does have talent, but at twenty seven years old, he's kind of getting it, trying to fight back into the league after playing in Puerto Rico and playing uh, in the G League a couple of times. I don't know what were your your initial thoughts, Sean, when you heard that Scal was coming back. Uh, I was I was absolutely rather shocked. Um because I thought basketball had pretty much been in the rearview mirror for him. Um, and I think a lot of that, you talked about, you know, some of the things that they were working on when he was here. I mean, he, 
he, he'd be almost the poster child for when Dave Yeager talked about, I've got a lot of nice guys um, because he is, he, I mean, this guy, every time you see him has a smile on his face, um, he's been through some absolute adversity in his life. I mean, coming out of Haiti, surviving the earthquake out there and um, kind of growing up in the Memphis area a little bit. Um, he he's, he's, he's been through some shit. So uh, every day is kind of a blessing for him as a man of faith. And so um, I think it was, when he when he kind of charts his 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 journey, if you will, um, in that interview, and as you laid out some of the stops he made, it was literally like going to Portland, suffering a pretty significant injury, getting cut or getting traded to Atlanta, and then never really playing there. Atlanta cuts him, and so uh, he toils in the G League, and as you mentioned, Puerto Rico, and uh, he didn't play a lot with Mexico city, but it's kind of ironic that both two of the games that he did play happened to be against the Stockton Kings. So they got a pretty good look at him. And in talking to him, I was very surprised how candid he was. And um, for the record, he and I had a really good relationship when he was here. Um, Like that guy waxed me in NBA 2k one time in Vegas and just absolutely destroyed me. And I I was like, why can't you be like that guy? Be mean, be talk shit, like be that guy. Um, it, 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 he he he's a lot of fun he really is and, and we had we did a, a few stories together um uh, when he was here and i thought his i thought one of the biggest things about as as a player was aside from him being a little too nice and a little soft or a finesse player um which is okay because honestly like De'Aaron fox describes himself as a finesse player um but i think that De'Aaron has found a competitive edge and um scal didn't really get that and when he talks about in that interview about how he's different. Like he's, he says the scowl, you know, back when I was a member of the Kings is, is not the scowl I am today. Um, he's been through some things. He's a little bit more uh, hardened, if you will. And uh, he talks about his maturity, both on the court and off the court. So I, I'm not totally confident that that's going to translate into um, overall success for him, but good for him for getting an opportunity. And as you mentioned, James, like, yeah, this I think the Kings look at this as a way to um, strengthen the G League team for sure. But uh, Scal isn't looking at it that way. He's like, no, I've got an opportunity, and I've made the Kings before, or I've you know I've been on the Kings before. I've been through training camps. Granted, it wasn't with this management or this coaching staff, but he throws that out the window. He's like, I've got an opportunity to make an NBA roster, and if that NBA, if it, yeah, and if it comes with me, much like. Uh, you know how Casey Akpala and mainly Chima Maneki last year was where they spent some time in the G League, but overall still made the opening day roster. Uh, I think that's kind of what he's envisioning for himself. And when you look at it, um, being you know <laughs> so many bigs and trying to find these answers, and some of them provide different things. Um, you know, you've got somebody like Namias Keda, you've got Nerlens Noel, you've got himself now you've got trey lyles who obviously has a roster spot and offers something a little bit different i i would you know scal offers some things that are a little bit different he can extend the floor he can block shots not a great rebounder and he should be and i think that's where um some of the uh, frustrations lie and and if he's gotten away from some of those mechanical movements and become more more of a, a fluid player and a little bit more of a quicker player um you know, that, that might translate somewhere. So good for him for taking the opportunity and, and hopefully looking forward to competition against a bunch of guys that he's already familiar with, with their games. I mean, you got five dudes from Kentucky now uh, and two of them you're going to be kind of competing against. And, you know, I also think, you know, we had the Nemeus Cata discussion just a few weeks ago and I, I, I was a little blunt in the way I said this, but I think the organization looks at it as, his next step and his progression. And it's like, okay, well, if you can't beat out a guy like Nerlens Noel, or you can't beat out Scalabies here, well, then you have no business being in the league. Right. So um, I think it just provides some really healthy camp competition. And, you know, if, if you don't make the opening day roster there, there's probably a fallback there for, for somebody like Scal or somebody, I don't know about Nimi. We'll see how that what what that transpires, and some and, and if, I don't know about Nerlens Noel, and see what that transpires if he's unable to make the opening day roster or whatever. But um, at least in Scal's situation, he might have a fallback there to G League, have a third G, really a fourth G League assignment for him in, in his span of his career, and if he's willing to accept that and take that and not uh, 
and, and you know use the opportunity maybe even open up some eyes around the nba then so be it because when he was coming into the league man that was so weird because he'd be a top three pick at one point and then a year later because of the way he was used at kentucky fell all the way down draft and almost into the second round so um yeah a lot of a uh, lot of intrigue there and uh, a storyline that'll be fun to monitor as we go forward can i yeah. ask about the spacing yeah. the floor because what are like the numbers from three don't look good. At no, all. they don't. Actually, look they look horrible. No. To to be blunt, um, the free throw numbers also don't look good. Right, no. one point three a game in the nine he played with Mexico City last year, sixteen percent. And year prior, um, Westchester Knicks only nine games, but zero point six a game, twenty percent. Last year's one point three free throws a game, fifty percent from the free throw line. Um, so, like spacing well, the floor is this mid range. Or it, well, no, I think I think what they're looking at is because there's so few games, but at the right. NBA level, I mean, he went in his first three years was right or went from 37, 35, 36 percent. So, um, yeah. granted, that's only a span of 100 games or so. But nevertheless, um, I think I think they're more confident their them being his camp would be more confident in his outside shooting ability that he showed at the NBA level as opposed to, um, what he was showing at the at sporadic G League um, appearances. Yeah, and I would tell you too, Brennan. You you watch him shoot once, and you'd be like, "Oh, like what is that?" I mean, he has a beautiful uh, jump shot. Like it it and it goes in. Like we saw him late in his what was his second season where he put up like thirty three on the last game of the season or something. Um, and Phoenix. Yeah, and then he busted the Kings up the next year on the last game of the season playing for Portland. Um, Sean touched on this a little bit, but like I think this is one of those players. We always talk about how big men take longer to develop, but also I think some personalities take longer to develop and become NBA ready. And I think for Scal, like his story is so unique. So first of all, he was in the, in the earthquakes in Haiti. So um, his dad had gone and picked him and his brother up from school. They dropped him off at their apartment with his mom and his dad drove away and the earthquake hit and their apartment complex uh, complex completely uh, collapsed on Scal and his mom and, and his uh, and his brother. Um, Scal was pinned under a wall in like this seated position, like with his butt touching his ankles for like six or eight hours while neighbors dug him out. And uh, it took him like, I think it was two or three months to learn how to walk again. Um, and this is age like 13, 14. And at this age, he's already like six foot four and just nothing but arms and legs, just gangly. So there had been missionaries from the Memphis area that had come down to help out once before in Haiti. And they tried to get him to come up and let his parents let him go uh play basketball in the states when he was a little bit younger when uh the er the earthquake hit and basically decimated haiti uh his parents allowed him to go with this with uh some missionaries to memphis and basically be adopted into uh, a, a family here in the united states uh, he played a couple of years in high school started to develop was one of the top high school prospects in the nation went to kentucky and then I think that's where it like everything kind of caught up to him that he was too nice, that like his, his path to get to where he was, was like a very arduous task to like, just be alive and to survive what he'd gone through. But he was still so super nice that he kind of got ran over at Kentucky. They told him you need to be in the draft because you're not going to play for us next year. So he went in the draft and fell to 28 where the, the Kings drafted him. And, and again, I just think he's like one of the nicest kids you're ever going to do. The smile is just golden. Uh, he's such a sweetheart of a kid, but a lot of times that doesn't translate. So I hope that he has learned that the NBA is a doggy dog world. And if you don't, if you can't stand up for yourself, you're going to get pushed around until you get pushed out. And so we'll see. I mean, at 27, it's shocking. He's 27. Um, and it, it seems like it wasn't that long ago that he was here in Sacramento, Sean. Um, but he's a good kid, and I, and I hope that he uh, he takes full advantage of the situation. The Exhibit 10, basically, unlike Shima Moneki and unlike 
um, Delavadova or even who was the the other kid that they, the Kings had? Was it Sam Merrill that they had last year? Um, yeah. The difference well, is... Was it? Yeah, yeah, I'm trying to remember. Yeah. That seems yeah. like two years ago, but yeah, yeah, it was. I think it was last year. So the difference is an Exhibit 10 is below the threshold. It's, it's about bonus money. So right. there's a small enough figure of bonus money that once he, if he doesn't make the main roster, he can be allocated to the Stockton Kings. And the way that this has worked out is that the Kings are, are basically in transit of trading for his rights to get him to Stockton. So if he does go to the G League, if he decides to play in the G League, it would be for the Stockton Kings. It would not be for some other team. Right. So it gives him an opportunity. And like, look, he's he's intriguing to me still. Uh, it just depends on what he looks like when he gets out on the court. I, you know, we watched him develop. We watched him get stronger each and every year and, you know, go from like this stick figure to like a full grown man. Um, but I still think he he was always like two years away from two years away. And so we'll see. Uh, I, I'm excited to see him and uh, if nothing else, catch up with him. And I was supposed to go to Haiti with him uh, years ago because they, they were going to go. He was going back to Haiti for the first time when he was with the Kings and we had everything set up. I was uh, when I was at NBC, it was me and Mark Spears were going and uh, his he decided to uh, change agents at the last second. And the NBA didn't like what was going on uh, because they didn't have a point of contact. So they said they wouldn't send NBA security. And for people who don't know, uh, like Haiti is on a no-fly list for for the United States. It's a it's a danger zone that they don't recommend you go to. But we were going to have security. And when the NBA pulled their security, uh, the trip went by the wayside, uh, which ended up being amazing. Uh, like Kings.com went with him. They walked down the street. Like he's walking to his old home where the, the apartment that had collapsed. And one of the neighbors who had helped dig him out actually was walking down the street and came over and interviewed him like really amazing stuff. So his story's great. Uh, whether he can make it or not is still going to be in question. Um, but like good on him for actually, uh, you know, showing up in Sacramento, being excited about Sacramento and, and maybe he can, uh, make some noise. And I, there's a question that was posed like by a lot of Kings fans when they did this move. They're like, well, why not just sign Harry Giles? And I, I don't know what, what is your guys take on that part of this? Because Giles is another like fan favorite, 25 years old, trying to get his career back on path. And uh, you know, you're, you're not choosing one over the other. The Kings still have roster spots and they still have a two-way contract that's available. But um, why would you guys in, in your knowledge, choose a guy like Scal over a guy like Harry. Uh, well, I mean, I, <laughs> I don't know that I'm not totally convinced that like they do the same things. Um, and I think it, to me, it all comes down to when I've talked to people, um, it, it, it's a, it's a belief in whether or not Harry can play or not, you know, that, that, that he's, that it's in his best interest, you know, that doctors would approve him, that that medical staffs would sign off on him. Um, you know, he's confident. He wants to play. He, he, you know, I'm talking about Harry Giles. He he wants to play. Scal doesn't have any of those limitations. Yeah, he had an injury, but it's not nearly what Harry Giles has been through. So it's not like an either or. I, I there, there's a lot of people rooting for for Harry Giles for sure. Um, uh, just I mean, you talk about a guy who wasn't late to basketball. I mean, this guy was in Scal's case, he was late to basketball. Harry Giles was one of the top high school players in the country when he, you know, and people, people were aware of him and suffers these, these injuries and uh, development is just so stunted and you have this electric personality and electric energy. And so we, I mean, we all get it. We get why people root for Harry Giles and want to see him play. And we understand why Harry, wants to put himself in the position to play and get that opportunity again. But the reality is it's not just a person who sits in a room and it is in a GM position that goes, you know, I really like this guy. Let's give him a shot. Um, it's more than that. It's a collective group of people that also have to side with um, their medical staff. And you're going to ensure a player who most medical staffs have said, no, you know, they're, they don't have the, the, the faith that, that he can play all it takes is one. And I think for 
for Harry, him taking a lot of these workouts, he just most recently worked out with the Warriors down the street. So um, I'm confident he'll be able to be in a, a training camp environment. But I think the, I think more than anything, and he 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 may already have this on the table. Uh, more than anything, I think teams want to see him play, and I think they're not going to so much as give him a NBA opportunity as they'll afford him a G league opportunity because him playing a full season in the G league where the knees aren't an issue. There's no pain in there. That that's like the first hurdle to get over. Can he do that? So um, it's nice. That he's had some of these workouts, but that is more of a belief in his ability to be healthy enough to play. Whereas Scal has uh, a lot of um, untapped potential, um, unproven ability that that you know could he be into something because the concerns aren't anything to do with health and just more to do with overall talent yeah i think sean nailed it i mean it's been like 13 months since we've seen harry giles play basketball um in a game setting um so i I think that it's just hard to evaluate a guy when that's been the case and even if it wasn't that many games for scal in g league um still a larger sample size of actual in-game reps for Scal than you have for Harry or, or a more recent sample size, I should say. Um, and I think that that holds a lot of weight. I, I don't think that there's, it, there's still certainly a path for Harry. Um, but I think that we haven't seen him for a little while and that's kind of what it comes down to. Scal has been playing more recently, specifically played against Stockton. They got to see him up close. And I think there's there's value in that compared to how long it's been for Harry. Yeah, I think it's interesting because I think it's longer than been longer than 13 months for Harry since he's been on the court. Um maybe I'm wrong, but uh like it, the funny thing is like we're talking about like Scal's story like 14 years old when this whole thing happens in Haiti. At that point, Harry Giles is like the number one prospect in the nation. He's on Team USA for their like U15 club. He's the best player in the in the world at that age at this point. And you look at Scal, who again was like six foot four and still grew. He grew another like six or eight inches after that and was still like developing. And so like super, super late to basketball versus super early to basketball. And then you look at like sort of like their maturation process and and I'll put a lot of the blame like look like the Kings in that time like in 2016 they not only drafted so they they draft Papi Giannis they draft Scal uh they draft Malachi Richardson at number 22 right the year before they'd brought in Willie Cauley Stein as a rookie but then during that season uh they trade DeMarcus Cousins for and bring in Buddy Heald so they have four rookies on that roster. Then you get to the offseason, and they draft De'Aaron Fox, they draft Justin Jackson, they draft Harry Giles, they draft Frank Mason, and they talk Bogdan Bogdanovich into coming over from Europe. So now you have nine first- and second-year players in on one team. And to be honest, most of those guys just slip through the cracks. And it's not because Dave Yeager and his staff didn't put in time or that, you know, the next group didn't put in time, is that there were too many. There are too many kids for them to actually grow anything and to, you know, when you're teaching kids how to play basketball as opposed to working with veterans and adult players and know what to do and you're just, whether they're talented or not or you're putting pieces together, it's a lot different. And, like, how many of those guys have worked out? Like, almost none of them. De'Aaron Fox. And Bogdan Bogdanovich, who came over as a pro, and Buddy Heald, who was, we now know, like a 24-year-old rookie. So, you know, like these are things that that actually matter. The rest of the group, Justin Jackson, Harry Giles, Scal, Malachi, Yorios, they're all gone. None of them are in the league. And so, like, it's tough because I, I put a lot of the blame on just the idea and what happened there and trying to create something with, a whole bunch of 19, 20, and 21-year-old dudes. It just wasn't going to work. And so, again, super I... Super team I, just young. Super team just young. And, like, but that's not how any of those guys no. have really, you know, it's, it's not what how it's worked out for any of them. Yeah. So no, no it, one's... It, a, no, and that's the thing, man. There's no exact science. No one, no one's a fortune teller. You just try to evaluate talent and put it together. And, it, you know, 
for every Warriors team that is homegrown and has all these incredible drafts. You've got a lot of You've Sacramento got another Kings. Warriors team that You've was homegrown, yeah. and none of them worked out at all. <laughs> right. You've got a Kings team. You've got a Knicks team. You've got, you know, just everyone's trying to everyone's trying to draft players to accumulate the best talent that they can and find us and find a star, really find an absolute star. That's always the goal. And uh, it's it, there's no exact science. And, and as I like to point out, there's no analytic for chemistry and how it all you, when you get a mesh of talents, how it all plays out. So, um yeah, it's part of the fun. Yeah, it, it, it has been like 24, 25 months since Harry. My uh, math off the top of my head yeah, sucks. You're, I, I, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I start. I, I was like, I heard that number, and I was like, I think it's been longer, but I'm yeah. terrible at math, so I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> well, that and like, I think the point though, like when we look at you put Harry and Scal on the same team, which they were on the same team. They were in two thousand seventeen. They're on the same team, but we're looking at like one kid who has very small amount of basketball experience versus one kid who has so much basketball experience, but two full blown ACLs and, and a knee surgery after that. And like, it's just, you're taking gambles on so many different types of players and so many kids from different backgrounds. And, and it's really, really hard for a collection of young players to survive together. And, like it's it's nearly impossible like i bring up the warriors you, you talk about like how they get this group together and they're amazing and then they try to replicate it while they still have this amazing group weissman is gone and moody and kaminga like whether they're in the rotation or not is like a big question and and uh jordan Poole gone you know like it, it's really really hard to bring along these players and it's not just the kings who messed up or or that failed in this attempt I mean, the Phoenix Suns have done it just as well as the Sacramento Kings. And then a lot of teams, they figure out they get one guy that works. And then they try to build around that one guy with veteran players, which is what the Kings are doing now. It's what the Phoenix Suns did with Devin Booker. Houston um, was a crazy mess last year because they were just so young. And then yeah. they might have overcompensated this offseason, in my opinion. But they realized they needed to go get some veterans. They're extremely young. And that group was as chaotic as possible. Well, and OKC's trying it right now, and they haven't given up on it. Like they're going to keep trying to push through with a really, really young group that's grown together. Now, whether they've done a better job of drafting the right type of players, maybe they have. Like we don't know, but still, taking the step and, and becoming successful isn't easy. And so, again, I and the instability of Sacramento doesn't help. The fact that half of these kids get left out because your GM gets fired and that's the guy who had some tie to you and then your head coach gets fired and there's some a different guy, you know, like that's the instability. That's how it hurts a team in a franchise. It's some of the young players get left behind some of the young players with, you know, incredible talent that, that probably could have made it if they were drafted somewhere else during that exact time. So uh, yeah, situational stuff. Um, okay. Let's uh, let's get to the business of basketball. Um, oh, oh, I think the Scalabies here, like we'll lead in with Scal and how he fits and, and, you know, with this conversation. But, uh, I think last week we talked about Namias Keda and Nerlens Noel and Alex Len and how we have this, I don't think it's a position battle as much as it is a roster battle. Um, outside of that, do either one of you guys really feel like there's a position battle with the Sacramento Kings? that stands out that you're like, Oh, I want to see what happens there. Or do we think that for the most part, we're looking at a nine to 10 man rotation and it's De'Aaron Fox backed up by Davion Mitchell. It's Kevin Herter backed up by Malik Monk. It's Harrison Barnes backed up by probably Keegan Murray and maybe a little bit of Chris Duarte Keegan Murray backed up by Sasha Vazenkov and then the Sabonis and Trey Lyle situation at center. Is that it? Or is there actually a way that this thing works out differently? Is there a way for a guy like Chris Duarte to, to become more of a rotational piece? Or do we kind of know who the nine, nine and a half man rotation is? I think Duarte and Kessler Edwards is kind of an interesting one to me. I would assume that Duarte has the edge, but Kessler has been in the system a little bit longer. And positionally, like, how do you want to use Duarte? Is he going to be a three or are we talking about a two? Um, and so I think that one stands out to me a little bit. And then also I would say Lyles and Sasha. Um, I, I know that, you know, there's a lot of assumption that Lyles will play a lot at the five, but I'm assuming that there will also be some opportunity for him at the four. 
but what does that mean for Sasha? Um, I think Sasha's pretty good. I'm pretty big on Sasha. I think he's going to fit well offensively within the system. We'll have to see what he looks like defensively, but what do those minutes look like? And because, you know, Sasha probably came over here, I would assume with a, some guarantee that there's an X amount of minutes on the table for him. So what does that mean for Lyles? Is he fully at the five or how much is he playing at the four? So those are the two that probably stand out to me. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, disagree there. It'll be curious to see if um, Chris Duarte plays a, uh, a different but similar role. And I mean different because he brings different attributes to the game than someone like Terrence Davis does. But Terrence had a, uh, a way to crack the lineup without being able to play every day. And uh, if he's coming in and, uh, and offering something different, I think that would be um, it, it, the one to monitor and see if there's anything there. But I think you kind of nailed it. I think um, – I think that's why there's not really a lot of um, intrigue going into this camp outside of maybe, you know, who makes the roster and, and who makes the most of their opportunity. And, um, you know, we're hyper-focusing on a lot, a lot of players who are towards the end of the roster, and it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But I think the benefit, if you're a Kings fan, um, and the maybe the boring part for us as media members who cover the team, uh, is that this this team is, is pretty well stacked. So, you, you know you already know who's who's what for the most part and what role that they play. And Mike, Mike Brown will, and his staff will certainly double down on the whole, um, you know, people knowing their role and, and being able to contribute. I think the biggest question mark is how does Sasha Vezikov fit in that? Um, where does he come in and make a, uh, make the most uh, headway in terms of trying to translate to the NBA game and that'll be the biggest question mark. And, and hopefully, you know, hopefully you see rather early that, you know, if you're a Kings fan or you're in that organization that you have that, that, that kind of that answer very quickly. And the answer is yes, that, that he can definitely fit into the NBA game and it translates well um, because you don't, I think the worst thing would be getting into December and see a very inconsistent player. So um, I think, I think it'd be interesting to see, you know, for a guy who has a bit of physicality to him, who, uh, I don't want to call him a poor defender, but I don't think I don't think that he's going to be known for his defense. But uh, he is a physical type of player. It'll be interesting to see if he can even take minutes at the three at all at any point with this positionless basketball. So, um, yeah, there's. I think that's just to me what leaps off the page in terms of the most interesting part of training camp going in there. It's all centered on Sasha. Yeah, that's interesting because I mean we have this question. Do the guards bleed into the small forward position or do the bigs bleed into the small forward position? I'm not sure that Sasha can play the three. Um, I, I don't know that I've even heard that the Kings might try that. Like we're it's too early for that, right? Wait, too, have, no, and and, yeah. and and what I mean by that is just you know, positionless basketball, as you mentioned. I mean, you're you're gonna yeah. have you're gonna have a lot of times where you go smaller, right? And so um he does play with a physicality and likes to get into the paint, at least what you see on tape from Euroball. And there could be a belief that depending upon how you situate your situate your lineup, that, that maybe that happens. I don't think I would necessarily agree with it, but uh, I think training camp is where all that tinkering kind of comes to light and you kind of figure it out. So uh, make the most of it at that point. But that I think too is if things go really, really well for him at the four position, and 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 he can fit in very, very nicely. Um, if he can, if he has a a little bit of a speed to his game to where he can keep up, you know, it might be something worth looking at. But um, that's all training camp stuff. You know, you you tinker and you figure it out and find what what lineups work best with each other. Yeah, and I think for me, he's a really smart in, uh, basketball player. So. I'm worried about him like on an Island caught in space against somebody for sure. Like that's going to be an issue. Like, but I also think it's an issue for Demonis Sabonis. And I think it's an issue for, I don't know, Trey Lyles. And it's an issue for half of the guards on this team that if they're on an Island, they're in trouble. And so with, for me, it's about team defense and whether Sasha can fit into the team defensive concepts. And I think he can, like, I don't think he's going to have such an issue. Like, I want to see if he's switchable. Can he play the three, four interchangeable on the defensive end? Can, you know, can he play alongside a Keegan Murray and play alongside him for major minutes? And, and then also I think that's kind of where, uh, where Chris Duarte fits in. 
Duarte is a really good defender. Like there was a time two years ago in his rookie season where like you can almost say elite defender, like his, his metrics are crazy. And so I wonder if that's how you fix the, the front line of Sasha Vizinkov and Trey Lyles off the bench is you put in a really good defender alongside them, uh, whether it's at the two or the three, and you try to sure yourself up that way. I think it's going to be interesting. Like that. I don't know again, how many minutes Davion Mitchell will play. Uh, he's going to be in a dogfight for minutes. And I, I don't think that's a great thing for him um, because, you know, you have another guy like Duarte who has very similar attributes, except for he's six foot six and he can play the two and the three and he can even play a little one. So you can go with a big guard lineup. And I, I like the idea of Malik Monk at the point guard or running an offense similar to what De'Aaron Fox runs with the starters uh, with the second unit, but alongside a big guard in Chris Duarte, that doesn't, like mean that I, I think that Davion Mitchell's not going to play at all, but I certainly think that they're going to tinker here. And there's all kinds of ways that, that Mike Brown can piece this thing together. Um, certainly versatility is something that positional roster flexibility, all that stuff. It, I think it's way bigger this year than it has been in past years. Yeah. Can I, um can I translate a King's pulse segment over here? Yeah. I mm. uh, typically no. at the end of shows, I wasn't asking you, Sean, okay. uh, <laughs> at the end of shows, I like to do an overtime segment that is Uh-oh. more focused on us, I guess, or non typically I say non-basketball. We're still keeping basketball a little bit, but it's more personal. So my question, as I wear my Isaiah Thomas t-shirt, stand up, um, show it off, slam. It is a gorgeous work it. magazine cover. Oh yeah. Do you want me to spin? Today okay. I'm yeah. I'm wearing a Legend of Zelda. Ooh. Okay, oh. Legend of Zelda T-shirt. That's Go retro. That's yeah, retro. you like that? Go for so, it. Brennan. So my question is, what are the team or teams that made you fall in love with basketball? If you love basketball, I guess I would. Ass- well, well, this is a hard pivot, isn't it? It is. That's, I will start to give you guys time to think. Um, we believe Warriors is the easy one for me. That was the one that had you me hooked. Four. I'm aging myself, right? Um, that's definitely the one that had me hooked. I remember watching, I mean, obviously beating Dirk and the Warriors was crazy. My dad's a huge Warriors fan. My dad's very passionate fan, also yelling at the TV, and the Warriors were dog shit forever. And finally, be, that was a fun year uh, that he could finally enjoy. And I remember the dunk on AK-47 in the second round. Mm-hmm. from Baron Davis and you know he lifts up the shirt gets the tech but watching sports center top 10 the next day he was five out of the 10 all different angles and that stood out to me and then um do you remember who he dunked on I said AK-47 okay, Lico, making right? sure. yeah just making sure um um Darren Williams cooked them in that series but yeah um and then the one that was closer, like later. By the way, um, by the way, I used to, I used to, I thought Darren Williams would have been a better player than Chris Paul. And yeah, I that was, was wrong. yeah, that was a big debate. Yeah, yeah, that was a who's the top guy debate. Um, but yeah. the other one for me is definitely the Isaiah Thomas Celtics, the year that he was almost MVP and then got moved for Kyrie afterwards, um, playing not long after his sister passed and. I think it was game six against Washington. He crossed Markeith Morris, hit this and one. They had been John back and forth the whole series, fouled them out, iced the game. Uh, that one definitely was near and dear to home for me. Hmm. Okay. Um, let's see. I, like I've said this before, and you know, people like taking whatever. I, I don't care. Um, when I was growing up, the on TV it was only Celtics Lakers almost every single weekend. Like if you wanted to watch NBA basketball, it was Celtics Lakers. And like, I grew up loving watching magic Johnson play. Magic was just incredible. And their team was so good, like from top to bottom. And when the Kings moved here in 1985, I was young. But that's kind of when you're like, okay, I'll take up, I'll take up the hometown team. That's fine. And they became like my team as when I was young. Um, and then, we also like Fred Anderson was the PA announcer in the arena uh, for at, at uh, Arco one and Arco two um, until uh, well, they had like a small window where they had a couple of people fill in, but before Scott Moak um, and Fred was a deacon at my church and I graduated from high school with his daughter 
and I was friends with his daughter and we spent, you know, we went to church together and stuff like I, so I knew the Anderson. So when we went to a game or two, when I was young, we would walk down and to the scorers table, like in pregame and say hi to Fred. And so I became like, this was, you know, it's, again, it's your hometown team. I remember working at big A's driving in grass Valley, uh, when I was young and, uh, I would turn the games on and listen on 1140 to, uh, to Gary Gerald, uh, while I cleaned the the restaurant and stuff. And then when I was in high school or maybe before I was in high school, but I had, uh, we would go to high school football games in Nevada union. Um, it was weird. Uh, Michael Jackson, the old Kings point guard and, uh, Michael Jackson. Uh, yeah, yeah, it wasn't the Michael Jackson, but I, I would assume. Yeah. Yeah. And Harold Presley came up for a Friday night football game because the Kings would do that. They would send players up to go sort of rep. And uh, and so you got to see him and you're like, OK, this is cool. So, yeah, it was like Kings based because I was I grew up here. Um, but yeah, that's sort of where I, even though they were bad, you, you know, you had the crazy draft where they had four first round picks. And so everyone's like enthralled by what's happening. You had, even before that, you had Danny Ainge and then you had players that were like super likable for, for normal people like Spud Webb. And so, yeah, it was mostly Kings related when I was young. Yeah, I mean, mine's not going to be that, um, I mean, all that unpredictable. I mean, it's Michael Jordan. It's Michael Jordan, um, the the way the Bulls were. I mean, it's all 90s for me. And um, by by virtue of me working around celebrity golf tournaments a lot and seeing some of, you know, Jordan and Barkley and Barkley's infectious personality. I mean, he was mm-hmm. doing celebrity golf tournaments while he was a player, both him and Jordan both. And uh, being around those guys, um, quite a few times out of the year in a different environment that wasn't the NBA drew me to the NBA. And um, obviously Barkley's, uh, Barkley's personality, I think, you know, Grant Hill, Mitch Richmond um, were probably in that next category. And then, you know, shout out Sean Kemp, man. I used to, <laughs> I used to seek out Sean Kemp highlights and video. And then the first time I ever saw him uh, play in a game live uh, unfortunately he was no longer, well, no, I did see him as a, as a Sonic, but I only saw him as a Sonic once, but he was bigger. And then I, the next time I saw Sean Kemp, he was in Cleveland, I believe. And he was really bigger and not, not the Sean Kemp that was flying through the air like he once did. So, um, but he was so much fun to watch. Grant Hill became, you know, from, from, from Duke and having a little bit of a connection to, to the university at that point, um, kind of the i think the the most impactful to where i thought he was going to be uh otherworldly talent and we would be speaking of him like we do michael jordan so um yeah those are the those are the those were that's what did it yeah i dug watching jordan uh watch uh you know all the way through the 90s but i also like i love dennis rodman and yep. when he was with the bad boys and you know like i there was an all-star game early in his career where he blocked a shot and I swear his armpit was at the rim and he, he sent it like 15 rows deep into the stands, just like having a good time. And it was like, Oh my gosh, like watching someone who was like six foot seven, who could do something like that. It was, it was pretty crazy. Have you guys know. seen the clips of um, Anthony Edwards and Jordan side by side, not to say their games are the exact same, but these specific like handful of plays. It's very hmm. interesting to me. Like everybody awes about Jordan's athleticism. Right. And I didn't, really get to witness this in the same way and like it has had me thinking is like ant a fair comparison for just athleticism or is there just no comparison no i don't think there is like even like vince carter was one of the greatest like athletes that we've seen after that and vince carter had like vertical pop but not like jordan could hang in the air i mean just like would float and you're like this is amazing to watch so, so for me, like, I still haven't seen anyone who remotely comes close to Jordan. Um, and it like part of the moxie, I, I guess the only one that remotely close is Kobe, but still I, like there was a level that Jordan had that I think was different. Yeah. I don't know. Sean looks like he's deep in thought. Yeah. I got distracted by an email. I apologize, but yeah. there was a, uh, yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a, I didn't expect to have that conversation, but that's uh, those are fun stories. Um, 
I mean, for Kings fans, seeing Mitch Richmond and Michael Jordan, I mean, it was Michael Jordan, and then right below him was Mitch Richmond. So, and, and watching them go know, at it, oh, it's oh incredible! Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, totally, totally incredible. Yeah, um, definitely uh, a good question. Good question. Um, let's see. Finish this thing up, uh, Brendan. Um, you had an article last week on the Kings Herald uh, with Keon Ellis. You had an interview with Keon Ellis. People should go in and and check it out. Um, do you think Keon Ellis fits in Sacramento this year, or is he going to have to wait another year? I think he's going to probably spend a decent amount of time in Stockton, but I don't think that's a bad thing. Um, he developed his playmaking, I think, a lot last year. He actually said it was something that um, Nate Oates at Alabama emphasized a lot, one-handed live dribble passes. But, you know, coming out of college, I, I think a thing that was talked about a lot is he only had seven more assists than turnovers, 59 to 52 in his senior year. Last year at Stockton, 128 assists to 66 turnovers. Very clear progress there. Um, got to talk to him a little bit about, I, I sort of emphasized what he learned from specific coaches, and that was primarily Bobby Jackson, Mike Brown, and then Lindsey Harding, who he has a really good relationship when he would come up to Sacramento. That was kind of the coach that was assigned to him, and he's very much looking forward to playing under Lindsey during his time in Stockton this year. But I think he's going to get a shot. You know, they need the defense. I think he's getting more and more accustomed to the offense. I thought we saw a lot of progress throughout really all of his game uh, during that last summer league. I think he did a pretty good job of making an impact and seems like a guy, if he can piece together the offense, become, you know, the sharp, sharp shooter that he wants to be and still make his impact defensively, that there's a lot of value there. Um, and, and the one other thing I'd add is that he talked about, there's a handful of guys that have been in the gym. I might've mentioned this last episode too. I guess Dutch is the one that's kind of core, um, correlating all this, but I think previously that De'Aaron Fox, Keegan Murray and Davion Mitchell were part of this group as well. But since they've kind of, you know, gone on to other things, Keegan team USA, um, De'Aaron's gone overseas. Davion's hopped around a little bit. He went overseas. He went to Baylor and has been in other places. I think I saw him at like Rico Hines runs recently. Um, but he mentioned that he's been working out a lot with Kessler Edwards, Colby Jones, Jalen Slauson, and Jordan Ford here in um, Sacramento Stockton. So I thought that was pretty interesting. It's nice to see, you know, a group that is already known as a close knit group still spending time together here in the off season. Oh, that's good stuff. Um, yeah. I, I think, you know, again, he's up against it, but I do like when Monty was in Houston, they did this. They, they created proper G league players. In my mind, they they tried to create three and D guys. They they created power forward centers uh, like the aggressive, like Tariq Black and Montrez Harrell. Uh, you look at Daniel House and like they, there's a bunch of players that came through their G League system that aren't going to be stars, but they can be stars in their roles. And uh, I think it's a good way to handle the G League. And so hopefully that's something we see continue. Um, and, and I think he's one of those guys that like has some potential to, to fit in and, and to be a player at some point, uh, we'll just have to see if he's going to get that opportunity in Sacramento or if it'll, it'll have to be elsewhere, uh, just with the way that the roster is so stacked at this point. Um, and so deep at that position specifically, um, and it'll yeah, be interesting they, to see how they build out the Stockton roster. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, uh, and miss Rana Dive, of course, is building out the Stockton ro roster. Um, let's see, uh, before we get out of here, um, I did write on Malik Monk and the options that the Kings have, uh, to retain him. And, um, I, I don't know, like, I don't think people should be, I, I think a lot of people were super concerned about how you're going to retain Malik Monk after this season, but the Kings can go up to like a four year. I think I, I have it, uh, four year 80. Ooh, I'm trying to remember what it was. Uh, four year, 78 million, something like that. Uh, if they want to, um, a, a starting salary over 17 million next season because he fits into the early bird, uh, rights, but a different way that Trey, than Trey Lyles or that, uh, that Rashawn Holmes did. Um, and so they can go much higher with his salary than they could have with those guys. And so, like, if Malik Monk wants to stick in Sacramento, there's definitely a, a lane for which that can happen. Um, and I wouldn't be shocked to see him like stick around on a four year, like long-term deal that equates to right around what Harrison Barnes money means to the Kings roster, uh, right around the 12, 13%. I am not worried about Malik Monk 
<laughs> going yeah. anywhere. I, I I haven't seen some of the things that obviously uh, chatter and banter and speculation that he might leave that maybe you have, but that seems very premature and uh, not really that realistic, to be honest. So, well, I just Somebody think it's it, a number though. Like it, it, he's closing games. He was extremely, extremely important in that golden state series. Yeah. Like Malcolm Brogdon's yeah. six man of the year. I think he's on a two forty five. you know, I, somebody could, I th- like, I, I could see somebody throwing Malik a bigger number than that, but not, so much larger that the 480 or near what was it 470 what james i think it's 478 yeah, yeah so the i don't bird, think somebody's totally outpricing him there yeah and the yeah. bird rights are everything right i mean that's uh well he has early bird he doesn't have standard early bird. bird right yeah because he didn't stay he didn't sign the three-year deal which I, I think it, that, that's still a leg up on competition in my opinion that, that oh no have. it's huge yeah, yeah because it's, it's, they it's can incredible. pay him way more than the MLE like right. uh, the and they may not need to yeah yeah we'll have to see how it plays out but um I definitely think it's one of those things where people are like well how are they going to bring him back there's no way he's going to sign for you know for the mid-level exception next year which is you know 12 million bucks and the math is way different so if you look at it and you break it down the early bird rights he can get 175 percent of his current salary his current salary is like 9.9 million so he can get up to like 17 million and that's to me, that's probably around with the range he's going to make in his next contract, maybe a little bit less. Uh, there's always potential for it to be more, but I don't know that you're going to see bigger than basically what amounts to like a four year, $80 million deal. Right. And so, so I think the Kings will be in the ballpark and it's whether or not uh, they're all moving forward on the, in the same way. And, and I think that they probably will be. And again, Malik Monk's 25 years old. And I think that's one of the interesting things about this team. He's the one guy that really isn't locked up beyond this this coming season. Um, but the rest of them are all like, if it works, you got to core together for a long time. Um, yeah. So anyway. Um, all right. Let's hit this real quick. Uh, final thoughts. Sean, do you have any final thoughts? Uh, <laughs> only that uh, <laughs> I enjoyed uh, going to Soul Bloom. Uh, last weekend and i really enjoyed a text that i got from our buddy brendan nunez right there about about possibly going i'll leave that part uh yeah we'll leave that out brendan were you able to you weren't able to go no no i I didn't get to catch anything that's a shame um thought about it didn't end up working out yeah yeah Uh, it it looked like a good time who was your uh no i I don't think we should talk not really Kind okay, of. Just making sure. Um, oh, kind of. Okay. Yeah. Who um, were some of your favorite people there? Oh, I was there to see Jesse Reyes and Jesse Reyes only. That uh, Kaylani I've seen before. She's fantastic. Uh, but I stayed on that stage. Saw Chloe Bailey. Saw um, saw Jesse Reyes, and then saw. I was only there for the Sunday. Uh, wanted to wanted to go Saturday, but Sunday had more of the draw to me. So fortunately, I've seen Pink Sweats and Tiana Taylor before, so I was able to kind of uh, avoid the madness of that stage and stay over on the, uh, uh, on the other one and just go Chloe Bailey, um, Jesse Reyes, who was my draw and uh, stick around and watch Kalani close it out. That was a lot of fun. Hope people had fun. Kaylani a lot of people passing out though. You need to stay hydrated. Really? Yeah. Stay hydrated. People, yeah. there's a lot of, uh, you know, you, you go to a festival, especially when it gets darker and uh, people will show the, their flashlights on their phone and everyone around someone who's, dropped you know and to get paramedics over there to help them there was a lot of the flashing lights and it wasn't for the uh for the concert reasons it was to help people who kind of passed out so just people need to remember to stay hydrated those was it wasn't even that hot but it because you had that marine layer coming in with the with the storm and all that stuff but yeah, muggy 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 uh i know my guys d-lo and casey were there yeah. um yeah, and then Sean and I, didn't, I, we I both... didn't get to see them. I should have. I should have reached out. I think they were gone by the time I got there. Yeah, we've got. Uh, we'll all be at the um, the Republic game tomorrow night. Uh, that I should will. be intriguing. Uh, I, I, me and D'Lo and Casey will be at the at the game as well. Um, yeah, uh, it's the big one. It's what the ten year anniversary. Is that what it is? It is. Yeah, the first few matches were played at Hughes Stadium, um, uh-huh. but yeah, they. I went to a uh, an event with the Republic where two of the players uh, trained with a, a special Olympics team that's that the it's it's unified with the club so that you know they're um, 
during one of their matches in October or some, something like that. But I know the Special Olympics team will play. And so it was just fun to see these kids, like kids and adults um, who were who were part of the Special Olympics here with these athletes. And, and it was, you just see their faces light up and to see it was Luther Archimed and um, Russell Ciceroni who were out there. And it was a, it was a lot of fun. And, and I was talking to one of their people and they're like, yeah, this thing's almost sold out, which is, pretty remarkable when you think about it because um you know granted there's been a lot of excitement in the recent news that you know belinda stronach could be a possible big whale investor helping them maybe push them over the over the line here for for an mls bid again but uh the fan base has been through so much i mean you talk about the hope of having the soccer team that means what it means for USL and Sacramento, but the the prospect of luring MLS at the time was was such a big weighty thing that people wanted, and that was a way to show community support and and, and this this you know the community coming out and supporting that club. So uh, to see that and what they've been through ten years later has been a lot. There's been a lot of drama there, and if you can, it doesn't even have to sell out for that thing to be a success. But if it does, that's that says a lot. Yeah, close to what is over twenty two thousand. Twenty thousand, yeah, it's wild. Yeah, that's yeah. a lot. It's a lot of people. And they like that first game. Not, I don't want to put a damper on it. They lost that first game, so I, it, it was almost probably for the better because I think it it really sprung them forward. They won the championship their first year. <laughs> so mm. that's that's right. <laughs> that's right. It's been so long. Uh, yeah. All right, Brandon, you have any final thoughts? Yeah, I might have to look at some of those tickets. I know you said it's almost sold out, but I'm gonna take a peek at that. I'm excited that football is here. Um, I, yeah, I'm definitely leaning into it more this year. I've been, uh, Madden just came out. I'm playing a lot of Madden. I, oh, I think I'm decent. Not going to lie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm having fun with football. I think, uh, Sam Darnold over Trey Lance is an understandable decision, but you know, it's Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle and all those guys, but I'm over it, you know, whatever. Spent all those picks to get that guy just for whatever it is what it is. I think it's the right decision. You got to know when to cut ties. And uh, I'm excited for balls here, though. Nine years later today, and I'm ready for the regular season to get started. All Brock right. Purdy is it, and that is all that matters. I'm excited about mm-hmm. fantasy football. We got fantasy football coming up. Played forever. It's good stuff. Um, let's see. Uh, outside of that, I, I don't think I really have much. Um, I went and saw Rent. Out peering out the window. <laughs> I saw I saw Rent last night. I went to the music theater, which is a blast like that's a great venue to to go see a broadway play um i don't think i have much else so it's been a long well, my, my comedy show at the hard rock was okay by the way i don't know if we talked you about saw ali time. wong no who'd you see no um i don't know some italian <laughs> guy some italian guy i got given the tickets it was like oh random. you saw sebastian maniscalco yes, or yes, how did, how, Manis, yeah okay Did i say it right maniscalco yeah. i sure um, okay yeah, he was decent, and the venue was, was cool. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he drove all the way out there. Yeah. Oh, very yeah. middle of nowhere. Yeah, I don't know why every casino is just it's, the middle but it's of nowhere. Not, but... It's not that. Well, well, no, but, like, there's no other. You're driving right. down the freeway, and there's nothing else, and you're yeah, like, it's, it's got to right. be that big-ass building, and sure enough. Sure yeah. enough. And yet, you start seeing it from a ways away. You see the bright lights out yeah. in the distance where it's lighting up the, like, the, the fields. Yeah. Yeah, so. it's weird, but it's not that far. Like it no, really isn't. It, for just, me, it's a good yeah. trek. It is. Well, you, know, you don't live in Sacramento. <laughs> no, you live, no, you live in Nevada. <laughs> I don't live in Nevada. I live in Nevada <laughs> County, but not Nevada. But yeah, I, I do live up the hill a little bit. Um, all right. Uh, well, I think that's gonna do it for this edition of the Kingsby Podcast. Uh, we'll be back next week. Uh, make sure to, if you're still watching here on on YouTube, give us a thumbs up. Uh, rating and review, all that stuff. Subscribe to the channel. Uh, jump on board with the King's Beat. Go to thekingsbeat.com. Become a premium subscriber so you get invited to things like the Happy Hour, uh, which should be coming up pretty soon. We should have one because I have a my month of September is a disaster. It's gonna be really difficult to do anything building up to the draft. I'm at building up to the start of training camp and everything else. So uh, that's gonna do it for this edition of the King's Beat podcast. So for Box Forties. John Cunningham and Brendan Nunes from the Kings Pulse podcast. I am James Ham, Kings Insider for ESPN 1320 and the Kings Beat. See you very soon.
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.